Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Hey, uh, I'm going to ask you, if you would, in your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17, and uh, we're in the middle of this, we're not in the, really in the middle, we, we just started, but we're in this vision series, and this vision series is really important to us, and uh, we'll get into why, but I would say this, if you're new or newer to Cedar Valley Church, I think this is an ideal time for you to come, because you're going to see what we're all about for this next year, you're going to see where we're going, what we're up to, and you very well may say, hey, that's all good for you, it's not for me, I, you don't waste any more time. And you go find somewhere where you can plug in and get busy worshiping the God of heaven. And if you say, right on, that's for me, then jump in. Then jump in. So if you have that, uh, 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet when you get that, if you would. And again, if you're new or newer, um, I just remind you, we, we won't do up-down the whole morning. We won't be going up-down. Uh, but we always stand when we read our primary text. And the reason is it's just a visual reminder to us that this is God speaking now. God is going to speak to us. He's about to speak to us, and we're going to hear what he has to say. So I'm starting them in uh, 1 Samuel 17, and I'm starting in verse 41. It says this, Goliath walks out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Goliath says, am I a dog? He roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Verse 45, and David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, verse 47, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. Now this is the Lord's battle, and he'll give it to us. He'll give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack David, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank in. And Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, used it to kill him, and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you, the Holy Spirit, that you were part of the writing of that. And now, Holy Spirit, that you're going to give us understanding. You're going to give us what we need to hear today. As your people here, you're going to give us what we need. And so we trust you for that, God. We're asking that you would give us that word in a way that only draws us closer to you, God. Speak truth to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can have a seat. Well, this... This vision series is really important for this reason. Uh, I, I want you to fully understand where we're going. I mean, we're calling this Lead the Way. And, and listen, just so you know, Lead the Way wasn't just something that, that we sat in a room and we were like, that's catchy. Let's just, let's come up with Lead the Way. That, it wasn't that at all. This is something, quite honestly, that I've been praying about and God's been talking about for the, about the last nine months. And just slowly revealing it, revealing it. I've been in prayer and I've been in the word and God just keeps revealing it. And God has said, this is, this is what I want for your church 
This is what I want for the church in Bloomington. And so what I'd hate to do is I'd hate for us to get six months down the road or even a week down the road and folks are still going, yeah, that'll lead the way. What is that thing? What are we doing here? So I want to bring clarity to it this morning. I want you to understand uh, the meaning of it. I want you to understand where it came from biblically. So let me just start by saying this. Uh, I've said this before, and I know uh, if you're new to Cedar Valley, you don't know this, but the people at Cedar Valley remember every word I've ever said. Okay, welcome to my world, yeah. And so, but I do know I've said this before, uh, it's the greatest invention ever in the history of mankind, so I want you to just go ahead, turn to the person next to you, start telling them what it is. Tell them what it is, greatest invention in the history of mankind. Go ahead, tell your neighbors, tell your neighbors. Now tell the person behind you. Now tell, now tell the person in front of you. All right, I think, I think we all know what it is. So on the count of three, let's just, let's just all say it together so we get out of the way. The greatest history, the greatest invention in the history of mankind is? Yes, that's right. GPS on a cell phone. GPS, hey. And here's what's funny, because everybody laughs about it. Women, women, this is really good for women. I'm going to tell you why. Because you women never, ever want to stop and ask for directions. You never do. Here's the difference between a man and a woman. Men, thank you, thank you. Men are always, we're the first ones to pull over. Gee, I don't really know where I'm at right now. And we'll ask any trusting soul, am I right, men? Come on, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and, so, and so the beauty of the GPS on a cell phone is this. You know where you want to go. You just don't know how to get there. And now you know how to get there. And this is oftentimes what happens in the church. We know there's a mission. The mission is making disciples. And again, I, I always say this, the way we say it at Cedar Valley, it's the same thing. Leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's making disciples, right? But sometimes that gets a little ambiguous. It's a little big, it's a little ambiguous. And what the vision does, like for this next year, oh, okay, here's how we're gonna go about that. And so that's why for the next five weeks, we're going to lay it out. Each week, we're going to speak into elements of it. You're going to see the whole vision. You're going to know what it is. And that's what the vision is going to help us do. So I want you to see this from the scriptures, what God has really laid on my heart. So this is from your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says this. Now the Philistines, they're big warring people, right? They, they live in the land of Canaan, what is today Israel. They mustered their army for battle and camped between Sukkah at Ju in Judah and Azekah at Ephesus Damim. Saul counters, Saul is the king of Israel, he's their first king. Saul counters by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. Then he goes on and he tells us, he tells us, pow, something tells us, yes, yes. Are we good? There we go. So the Philistines and the Israelites, they faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. So here's all you need to know. You can forget all the names right now. Let's just make this really simple. There's a mountain over here, and the Philistine army is lined up. And there's a mountain over here, and the Israelite army, led by Saul, they're all lined up, and there's this valley in between them. They're literally just lined up facing each other. That's what they do. They're getting ready for war. And then it happens, it says, then Goliath. Now, just so you know this, uh, there, there are archaeological finds that point to there was a real Goliath. This isn't like a mystical, some type of mystical story. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, 
came out of the Philistine ranks to face the force of Israel, he was over nine feet tall. Again, there's this idea that this is just some mystical, made-up story. It's kind of a, a, a fairy tale that Christians seem to believe. And there are plenty of findings out of that. There, there are another group of people called the Anakim, and they lived in Canaan, and they were said to have been, some of them reached over eight feet tall. So we believe that based on how you measured and what measurements were in their day, we think that uh, Goliath was probably somewhere between eight foot five and maybe nine foot two. He's big. He's big. And not only is he tall, the author goes on to say he wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail, this, this breastplate that he wears, it weighs 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. Further description says that the shaft of his spear was a he as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. A weaver's beam is about two and a half inches thick and it could be five feet long and, and it'd be like one end of a loom. So you have stuff going on there and you're working a loom and you're weaving. It's as thick and heavy as a, as a weaver's beam. It was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Just the, the tip of the spearhead weighs 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him like he needs one, carrying a shield. And so here's what we know so far is, is he's a big guy, he's tall, he's big, and even his equipment, his, his armor and stuff, is big. Experts say that they think that his equipment and his armor could have weighed somewhere between 150 and 200 pounds. This is a big man, he's a large man, he's a trained warrior, and he's ready to go at it. Okay, now, hold the story for just a minute, and you're going to get introduced to David. It says this, now David was the son of a man named Jesse. We just got introduced. If you'd have read the, 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 the book of 1 Samuel, you'd have just gotten introduced to David the chapter before. David's father is Jesse, and you need to know this about David, that David, even in his own household, was probably most likely looked down upon. The prophet Samuel comes, and he says to Jesse, hey, I'm coming to your house. Get all your boys out and get all your boys ready. And God had already told him, you're going to go anoint one of Jesse's kids. He's going to be the first king of Israel. And so he goes to Jesse's house, and he sees Eliab, the oldest son, and he's big, strapping guy, and he goes, oh, that must be him. And God says, no, that's not him. And he goes to the next oldest, and he says, that must be him. And God says, no. He goes through all the boys, and he says, no. And, and so now the prophet Samuel says to Jesse, is this all your kids? Is this all you got? And he's like, oh, okay, I got one other one. I got one other one. He's out in the field, and he's taking care of sheep. Now, you know this, that in that day, shepherds were despised. They were literally the smelly shepherds. That's how they were thought of. That's where David is. David's a smelly shepherd. He's the youngest of the kids, and he's out there. It says, David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Keep this in mind, that the nation of Israel that time had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was actually called Israel. The southern kingdom, that's where Jerusalem is, that region was called Judah. It's still one country, but it's two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Jesse lives in Judah in the southern kingdom. And it says Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Now it goes on to describe him a little bit, and he tells you this. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. So here they are, they're all lined up, they're all lined up, this army is led by Saul, these are the Israelites, and in that are David's three brothers, right? This, this is the battle that's going on. Now here's what's going on on the battlefield, then you need to know this. For 40 days, 40 days in a row, for 40 days in a row, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion struts in front of the Israelite army. So this is the way this works. They're all lined up on both sides, and every day for 40 days and 40 nights, this is not going to make sense to you, B, 
bigger than me, bigger than me, and Goliath struts out like this every day. And the reason he struts is because he's a champion. Champion actually literally means in their language, the one who steps in between. And so what he's doing is, hey, look, we got our army here. You got your army there. I'm strutting out here because I'm a champion. I'm the one who comes in between the two. And I'm saying, let's not get everybody all dinged up. You send out your best champion, right? The two of us will fight, and it's going to be winner take all. That's how, they, that's how they do that. It was very customary at that time. And so for 40 days, he does that over and over and over. Okay, meanwhile, back at the ranch, David has left the sheep. He's left the sheep now. His father has told him, hey, listen, I want you to take some food to your brothers. Your brothers need some food to eat. That's how they got food. That's how they got food. It's family or friends. They would, they would deliver food. So David leaves the sheep with another shepherd, and he sits out early the next morning with the gifts. That's all the food. Now he arrives at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battle with shouts and battle cries. You can imagine they're getting all jacked up. They're getting all jacked up. They're getting ready for war. They're getting psyched. They're getting hyped up. They're all ready to go. And David gets there. Obviously, he's probably going to look for his brothers first. He's going to look out for his brothers. Well, maybe now he finds his brothers. And so as David is talking to his brothers, right, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, he comes out from the Philistine ranks. And then David hears him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. He's been doing it for 40 days. David's never heard it. Now, this time, David hears it. David hears it. And he shouts whatever it is that he's shouting. What I can tell you is whatever he's shouting, what he's trying to do is he's trying to scare and intimidate the Israelite army. He's trying to scare and intimidate them. How many of you know that that's how the devil works? Because you can stand there and it's you and the devil wants to intimidate and scare you, so you'll go hide. Okay, so here's what happens. As soon as the Israelite army saw Goliath, they began to run away in fright. They ran away in fright. Now, just stop and think about this for a minute. These are soldiers. They're professional soldiers. Some of you in our room, thank you, by the way, have been soldiers. And you are trained for the fight. Now, in all, in, all, uh, in the perfect world, we'd rather that they not have to fight. But that's what they're trained for. These soldiers are now hiding. They become very passive. They're running away. They're hiding. They're not doing what they were intended to do, what God has purposed them to do. You understand what I'm saying? And the reason that they're not doing what God has purposed them to do is because they're scared and they're intimidated and they're frightened. That's what they're doing. David has a different plan. And so David says this, hey, he goes right to the king, right to Saul, and he says, don't you even worry about this Philistine, this Goliath, this champion. I'll go fight him. Now, I just want you to take this in context for us as a church, because this is what happens. Man, society and the culture is yelling and screaming at us, and we get intimidated, and we get scared, and we get passive, and we don't know what to do, and we run away, and we just become just quiet and silent. And David is a man, there's nothing special about David. He's not some behemoth. He's not some unusually gifted. He's not the elite educated. He's not the wealthy. He's a huckleberry like the rest of us. But he says this, I'll fight him. Translation, this is what David is saying. I'll lead the way. I'll lead the way. I'll step up. No one else is doing what they were intended to do. No one else is doing what they're designed to do. No one else is doing what they're supposed to do with the call of God on their life. No one is doing that. I'll lead the way. Now, this is what's going to happen. 
When you try to lead the way, when you step up and do what God's designed you to do and what God's gifted you to do and what God is telling you to do, when you step up to do that, even good people are going to start telling all kinds of lies. And this is what Saul said. He says, ah, nah, nah, nah. don't be ridiculous. There's no way. There's no possible way that you can fight this Philistine impossibly when you can't possibly do it. And he puts all kinds of doubt. Now, sometimes the devil casts doubt with some truth. He says, first of all, you're only a boy. Is that true? Yes, David's just still a boy. And furthermore, he says, this Goliath, he's been a man of war since his youth. Is that true? Yeah, he's a warrior. He's a big warrior. He's real. He's scary. And everybody's trying to dissuade him from jumping in and taking action, what God has called him to do. And here's what I love. And church, this is for us. This is what David does. And I, and I love the fact that he does this. David persisted. He didn't have any special, special gifts. Now, just so you know this, David persisted not because he thought, man, I'm crazy smart. Man, I've got gifts and talents and abilities that no one else has. Man, I got enough money, I could buy our way out of this. No, no, no. That's not. Look, he, he's very clear of where he gives credit. David says this The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, the Lord will rescue me from this Philistine. He's saying, God's going to do this. God is the one who's going to do this. Now listen, you know the story. Some of you know the story. So he gets up and, and he, he, he goes on to, to fight the battle. He goes and picks up five smooth, smooth stones and he's got a sling. And now he's headed that way. But the devil doesn't want to stop from intimidating you. And Goliath didn't want to stop here from intimidating David. And the world is going to keep trying to intimidate you. And they're yelling all kinds of things at you. And Goliath continues to yell all kinds of things at David. Boy, I will rip you up and spit you out. And he's talking to him like that. And he's saying all kinds of intimidating things to him. But watch David, because David persists, and he says this. David replies to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. Just stop for a minute. Do you think there was sword there? Okay, that's real. Do you think there's a spear there? It's real. You think there's a javelin there? Oh, yeah, it's real. Here's David's perspective. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. That's what's real. That's what's real. David is saying, it's not about me. And it's certainly not about you. It's not about what you got. This is about God. This is about God. Further, David goes on to say this. Today, the Lord will conquer you. It's going to be the Lord who conquers you. Now, just me, because I'm a guy, and if you're a guy, and even if you're not a guy, if you're a woman, and you like action movies, then the next line is kind of fun. And by the way, I'll kill you and cut off your head. That's fun. I mean, that's just fun. That just makes for a good movie, right? David's not playing games here. David knows that it's the Lord who's going to do this. Now, what I want you to see is when someone, a normal, ordinary person, not gifted particularly in any crazy kind of way, not a certain age, just a person that's filled with the power of God, when they step forward and do what God has called them to do. Now, I want, to see, I want you to see what happens to the rest of the folks. And the writer tells us this. Then the men of Israel and Judah, then... They gave a great shout. Now they're starting to celebrate a shout of triumph. And they rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. See, now they're encouraged. Now they're strengthened. Now they're, they're feeling empowered. When God's people get up and start doing what God's people are supposed to be doing and acting the way that God calls them to act, you know what happens? There are other Christians just waiting they're waiting. They've been passive and silent and quiet, and they've been hiding, and they don't know what to do. And when God's people get up and start doing what they're stinking supposed to be doing, everybody else goes. It just takes somebody to lead the way. 
And I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart that God has called us as a body of believers. We're not special. We're just the people of God who are going to respond to what God is going to have us to do. That's why we call the vision this year, lead the way, lead the way, lead the way, lead the way. God is calling us, lead the way, lead the way. I think this is so important. I want to give you, I want to give you the big so what right now because I want you to get a vision for this. I told you last week, I, I really believe this. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that if we lead the way that God is calling us to lead the way, I think it, could, it, it will potentially bring tens of thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that will happen. I believe there will be generations. I believe we'll get to heaven someday and we're going to start swapping stories and they go, wait, wait, wait. You folks were those crazy Christians in Bloomington? That's how I came to know Jesus. Right? So let me give you the biggest so what just so you get to it. See, when you lead the way, others find the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. Right? If God's people will get up and start leading the way, a lot of other folks are going to find the way. I think that's our job. I think that's what we've got to do. I think God has called us to it. Now, you know, uh, let, me, let, me, let me just flesh this out a little bit. Do you, ever, do you ever just like, do you ever get up and just go like, man, what's going on? Do you ever look around and go, what's going on? I don't mean like, man, what's going on? Like gas got more expensive. I don't mean like, man, what's, what's going on? Grapefruit got more expensive. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, do you ever, do you ever, do you ever just look around at the culture and just go, what's going on here? Like, we live in a world that is so self-absorbed. We live in a culture that has become so violent. We live in a culture that has become so hypersexualized. And sometimes you just go, man, what is going on here? I believe this. I believe that if Jesus could, would come back physically right now, like we could physically see him, we could physically touch him, we could audibly hear his voice, I, I think Jesus would ask, how? I think that's what he would ask. I think Jesus would ask, how could a land that's been so blessed and they've been given so much, how could they become so self-consumed and so self-absorbed? I think this land that's been given so much, I think he would ask, how could, how could they become so ungrateful? I think if Jesus were here and he was talking, he'd say, man, how could a land that, that to some extent was God-honoring, God-conscious, God-honoring, I think he would ask those questions. I, say, I think he would ask, man, how, how have they become just so sexually obsessed? So sexually perverted? So sexually confused? And then I think he would grieve. And then he, he would say this, where are my people? Like, what about my people? Have they forgotten my ways? Have they forgotten the mission that I've given them? How have they become so silent and so quiet and so passive? Is everybody hiding under a rock? And I don't necessarily mean that we need to be more combative and more confrontive. And I'm not saying that we got to, this is going to happen through politics. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the vast majority of this is how we live and how we engage people. And I think he'd wonder like, What's happened here? How have my people gotten so caught up in this misguided society? How can my people watch all the same TV? My people go to all the same movies. My people use all the same talk. My people are all caught up in all the same things. My people have been so, so just enamored with money and possessions. What about my people? I think that's what he'd ask us. And he'd want to know why we're just going along. 
why we're not doing anything. See, that's the context of Lead the Way. We are God's people. And I think he's called us to greater than this. And I think he's called us to a mission. I think he's called us to carry out a mission. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think we're supposed to be so passive. But here's the deal. This isn't all going to happen because we read a passage of Scripture. This isn't going to happen because I preached a message. This isn't going to happen even because we sat and went, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to happen because we're together, because we're committed to Christ. And then it's going to happen together. It's going to happen because we're together, because we're going to pray together, because we're going to work together, because we're going to sacrifice together. That's the only way that this is going to happen is if we do it together. Last week, if you remember this, I asked you a question because we talked about it last week and I said, hey, uh, who's on your team? Do you remember that? I asked the question, who's on your team? Like who's speaking into your life? Who's speaking into you? Who's checking in with you? Who's checking you, right? Who do you have in your life that can say, how you doing? And you say, fine. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm asking you how you're doing. So I want to turn that a little today. I want to turn that a little bit and and, and I want to put a little context on it. And I'm going to explain it this way. Kimmy and I, we started dating. How many of you know when Kimmy married me, she, she, she had her hands full. How many of you know that? Like, look, I'm a little self, yeah, I have a little self-awareness. I got some self-awareness. I'm all right with that. Like, right? And we started dating, and there were some things that I liked right away. I saw, man, she's bright, and she's funny. She's got this really sweet spirit. She's hotter than train smoke. What's not to like? You know what I'm saying? Well, let's be real, right? She hates that. She just hates that. <laughs> footnote everybody that's why I do it and so we start dating and and then we had some things in common we had some things in common we had our faith we shared our faith man if you get married that's the most important thing you can share we shared our faith we both like to go to the gym we like to work out we're active we both cycled I found that well like, we both cycled we love that right and we both like me <laughs> a lot and that's always been a battle for me. If I'm honest, like, it's just been a battle for me. I'm always thinking about me. I'm always thinking about me. Right? Watch what the scriptures say. The scriptures say this in Philippians. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Now look, thinking of others as better than yourself. So that doesn't mean necessarily you need to put yourself down. Would you just think of others more than you think about yourself? See, that verse was for me. It says, don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others too. We gotta think about others. We gotta think about others. See, last week I asked the question, who's on your team? That was a question I asked last week. Who's on your team? Who's checking in with you? Now that's important. This week I'm asking you this question. See, whose team are you on? See, who are you checking in on? Who are you checking? Who are you speaking truth in? Who are you speaking life to? Who are you saying, how you doing? And they say, I'm fine, and you're like, no. I'm asking you how you're doing. See, because if this whole thing is going to happen, if we're really going to lead the way, we've got to be together. We have got to be together. You've got to be together. We've got to be together in groups. That's why I asked you that last week, man. Start looking to be in a group. If you're not in a group, you need to be in a group. If you're not in a group, you need to be in a group. If you're not in a group, you need to be in a group. Let me say it one more time. Everybody listen to me. If you're not in a group, you need to be in a group. Because we can only do this together. This vision is going to be significant. You're going to see it next week. It's only going to happen when we're in it together.